You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of a new book called Auction Ready, How to Buy Property at Auction Even Though You're Scared Shitless. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner and mortgage broker, and together we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website, as well as download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? TheElephantInTheRoom.com.au Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp and we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. People in the process of buying or selling property at the moment are understandably worried about what effect the coronavirus pandemic will have on property prices in Australia and particularly in the light of the impact it is expected to have on the economy as a whole. Of course, these circumstances are unprecedented, so nobody really knows exactly what will happen and we're not about to try to tell you that we know either. But there are some things that we know to be true. We know that this too will end, but then what? Will you be any closer to buying the home that you want or getting that cracker investment property? See, nobody actually knows what will happen, but we can guarantee that if you sit on your hands, you won't be ready to act when things do get back to normal. If prices dive, will you be ready to strike? If low stock levels result in price rises, will you chase the market because you are not ready? Whatever happens, being ready is smart because those who aren't ready won't have any options. So today, Chris and I are going to talk about the sorts of things that will impact on the market and how important it is for you to be ready and the sorts of things that you should be looking at. Yeah, I think the, uh, I mean, the interesting here, firstly, is us, we're not going to be, uh, you know, there's enough news going around now about, you know, speculation on where the virus is going to go and how bad it's going to get and um, how many deaths and all that sort of uh, malarkey. I think what we, we really want to focus on today is just how is this going to impact on the property market and the really the human behaviour behind the market and um, what's going to mainly um, increase supply or decrease supply, increase demand or decrease demand? So I think one thing is certain, that we're in for a period of time, a bit of a, bit of a hiatus, and every single year we do have a little bit of a hiatus in the property market. So in a way we do get a little bit of a clue as to what might happen. And what I'm talking about the Christmas period so normally over Christmas, usually from sort of the very end of or the beginning of December really, you see in auction areas anyway um, a slowdown of stock coming onto the market and then through into January you see this continue because nobody really wants to start their auction campaign until after Australia Day. So what that effectively mm. means is that every year we have a six-week period where there's a hiatus in the property market in these auction areas such as Sydney and Melbourne. So this is a good I think a little something that we can look at to get a sense of what might happen because now what we're staring down the barrel is another hiatus, another potentially eight weeks, maybe even six months, you know, mm. of a period where very, very little stock is going to hit the market. Anything that does hit the market is going to be hard to actually get to inspect and we'll talk about that, I guess, what, what that could look like. But if we have that period of time where there's nothing new hitting the market, well, what can we expect to happen when things do go back to normal? I think it's a really good um, analogy, actually, because, you know, the reality is that's what most people are going to do is, is that 
um, real estate agents, you know, potentially might not be able to work. Um, you know, you wouldn't want to sell your property in this market where people can't come and look at your property. So, you know, we might just see this complete um, lack of stock hit in a market where there's already a shortage of stock. So, you know, from a supply point of view, um, things probably aren't going to get better if you're thinking about going to buy a property. Um, it could just be, you know, long waiting another six months before, you know, stock returns to normal levels. Yeah, and I think this is the thing that a lot of buyers, you know, I speak to people and I like to sort of anecdotally understand what people are thinking and they think, oh, you know, this is going to be the bottom of fall out of it and there'll be this rush of supply, all these panicked vendors. And I think we have to remember that we just had a downturn in the market. We had a two-year downturn from mid-2017 to mid-2019. In that time, we did not see an avalanche of stock. Now, in some areas, maybe there were, maybe some yeah. areas of house and land packages, for instance, where a bunch of investors all had settled at exactly the same time and may have had troubles, you know, getting out of it interest-only uh, periods at the same time, for instance. But the most of the market doesn't have a same start date and end date. So mm. you don't have a, 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 a homogenous bunch of people buying a homogenous bunch of property that all have the same circumstances. So... I think that, you know, in reality, recent history to some degree gives us some clues as to what might happen. And so I don't yeah. expect this avalanche of panicked stock because if everyone's going to panic and get out of the market, well, where are they going to live? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Most of the quality assets hit that owner-occupier demand. And um, so if they're going to hit the market, generally they're an owner-occupier owns them and they're going to potentially not want to list right now because they're not going to have the confidence to go and buy another home. Um, and so they're just going to, you know, Mexican standoff, which we saw in 2018, 2019. I think the other thing is what forces people to sell? And this is where a lot of people might be thinking, okay, unemployment, um, depending on how bad that gets, that could force people to to sell. The big thing that's supporting um, people holding on to their mortgages and holding on to their properties is, is low rates. I mean, RBA might do this Thursday the 19th, we're recording this. I mean, um, you know, by the end of today, we could see rates go to 0.25%. Um, and that means that we could see bank loans um, around 2.5%. And I think a lot of people who are working from home, you know, it's probably an opportunity for a lot of people to catch up on life, admin, et cetera. Um, and refinancing the mortgages and resetting mortgages to 30 years could be, you know, what what people could be thinking if they're worried about their jobs and they've still got a job. Um, maybe it's a time for them just to, you know, cut their expenses and refinance mortgages and, and, and make sure they can afford to stay in their houses. Yeah, I think that's interesting too. And, and on a sort of a more of a behavioural lifestyle side of things, you know, what greater reminder that how important it is to buy the right property. You know, if you're going to be homebound for an extended period of time, you want to love your home. You know, yeah. you want to love your family too, just quietly. I think that there might be a bit of a rush of divorces after this. But, um, but you meant to laugh there. But, um, well, actually, I'm recently married, so I'm not allowed to joke about divorce yet. No, well, I mean, you know, we all know that my, my check it relationship history, so I, I can joke about these things. But also, and, and as a bit of a segue, um, January is, is often known in real estate uh, terms as being, you know, divorce period. And also apparently yeah. divorce lawyers see it as, you know, a busy time as well. So it's not for no reason that I say that because when you think about it, and, and this is another parallel to that Christmas period, when you're cooped up with your family for extended periods of time, you know, you want to love them too. You want to make sure you've done the right thing in, in terms of um, 
choosing your family, but also how you behave with your family. But anyway, that's a bit of a bit Well, of- I think the other thing, it's an interesting point. I mean, you, um, you, you know, before this today, you mentioned about Narita Connors be at uh, REAs. You know, the stats are that actual search volumes have been going up. Um, mm. So, you know, people aren't just, uh, you know, property such the you know, the, what is it, the, I don't know, the Australia's favourite pastime or whatever they say, you know, and unfortunately when we've got a bit more time on our hands, we start, you know, refreshing domain, where could we potentially move to, et cetera. And I think um, with this kind of pandemic, I think with a lot of stock market crashes, we think the world's going to end and um, et cetera. And I think in this scenario, because it's, you know, virus driven, I think a lot of people don't have that same fear that it's going to go on forever. I think we all think we're going to get through it and, um, business is going to be as usual at some point, whether that's six months, 12 months, two years, etc. Um, so a lot of people with property will, will just assume that at some point things will go back to how they are. Um, and so, you know, with time up their hands, you can see they're already starting to think, well, you know, maybe we should look to upgrade. Maybe we should look to get into the market when things recover. Um, but I think that's the, the key is what, you know, do people sit out of the market as well, waiting for things to really kind of calm down. Uh, yeah, I think CoreLogic actually have a chart that shows how the Australian property market has recovered from each downturn over the past 30-odd years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is interesting because there's quite a few V-shaped curves in there. And, um, you know, if you go back, you're talking about the stock market crash, so that was in two, that was 1987. Um, that downturn, the property market didn't really start till 1989 and it ran until 91. Mm-hmm. Um and then there was another one in 2004 and 5 and then 2010-13, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So they, they all fundamentally bounce back. And I did a bit of um, research on this too because I wanted to go back to the um, the GFC. Now, yeah. bearing in mind, of course, I remember sitting in front of the television and watching the Twin Towers fall or watch one of the towers fall, the second one, fall uh, at 9-11, right? I yeah. had... Uh, what we back in two thousand and one. I'd been in property for a bit over a year, uh, maybe eighteen months. Um, I I sat there thinking, oh my god, this is it. The world's ending. You know, life is never going to be the same again. I just started doing well, and I'm now I'm I'm staring down the barrel of hardship. Like I, that is the cat- catastrophic thinking that we often completely go to without actually any rational thought, right? And yeah. I remember thinking that, um, and I think we all thought that for a period of time, and. Life does get back to normal. When we say normal, uh, it's a new normal, of course, because now we're aware other things can happen. And I think in very much the same way now, we're aware now that a pandemic can stuff things that we have, um, you know, relied upon. We've, we've been quite confident that I can get on a plane anytime I want to and go and visit my sister in Italy. Oh, I suddenly mm. can't, you know. Um, so and then back to the GFC as well. I actually was in Hong Kong when the GFC literally when it hit, when it happened, mm. um, and same sort of thing. Oh, my God, this is it. We're all going to fall off a cliff. Things are never going to be the same. And I just mm. literally just did a little bit of research to go back because I've got case studies of people that bought immediately post-GFC and then sold in less than two years and the gains they made were phenomenal mm. because to go counter-cyclical, you know. And then, But then forget those immediate gains, gains. Then I sort of went back and said, okay, well, what was the median house price, say, in Paddington, New South Wales? and Sydney back in 2008, just before it hit, right? It was just just over $1.3 million. What's the median price in Paddington today? 2.26, all right? So nearly a million dollars more, that's 73% increase over those 11 and a half years, 
Mm. So Willoughby is another example. In the, in the lower North Shore, median house price uh, in September 2008, uh, about a million sixty odd, right? Today, 2.325. So that's gone up 119%. Dremoyne, in the inner west suburb, 965000 was the median house price in September 2008, and today, 1.8. Uh, so, you know, over 90%, 90% increase. This is property is a long term bet. Well, the other thing is the property is a lot more, it doesn't, because, it, you know, the market's mainly driven by owner-occupiers, I mean, some areas are driven heavily by investors um, who kind of come in and out of the market and transact a lot more. But even still, you know, most investors hold property for a few years, you know, three to five years. Um, they're not holding, like, they could hold shares for three to five months or three to five days. Um, and so, you know, you don't really get that real transaction sort of volumes moving around um, in property, mainly because it's driven by owner-occupiers. So, um, and because of, you know, increasing demand with population growth and things like that um, and limited supply, basically underbuilding for so many years, um, it's pretty crazy when you look at the stats of what we actually build versus what we grow our population. Um, and so you just don't see this real volatility like the share market. You know, you can see how the US stock market's fallen and the, and the Aussie basically has fallen 30% in the last month. Um, I mean, the Aussie property market, you know, had, you know, the Sydney market fell 15% over about, what was it, about 18 months, that, you know, 2018 to 19. Um, and so you just don't get these huge falls um, because it takes, is only, you know, such a small volume of properties get sold um, at any point in time. It's not 100% of properties are on the market at all times, like shares. Yeah. And- um, it's the liquidity as well. The very fact is yeah. that it's not easy to sell a property compared to shares. Actually, I want to well, ask right. because a lot of these trades, these share trades, you know, we talk about behavioural science when it comes to the share market, for instance, and, and human nature getting involved and in all this knee-jerking. But the, these, a lot of these trades are done by robots now, right? It's their robo-trade. Yeah, I mean, that's that. you know, they're kind of coming in and out and, you know, trying to make a – you know, basically arbitrage on the market, right? So they can see that, you know, the way that markets behave is they don't just go down, then up. They go they go down, up, down, up, down, up, you know. And you can see, like, the stock market recently, the crazy volatility. Like, I've never seen the stock market moving like this, um, you know, since I've been around it since about 2005. Mm. Um, so, you know, we, you know, your biggest day in, all t- in 30 years, um, you know, uh, collapse. And the next day is the most positive day in thirty years. You know that the swings in the the market right now are enormous. So, but is that, um, is that largely because of the way the trading is being done? Potentially, it's also people kind of you know getting into the market when they think it's cheap, um, uh, and then that pushes prices up, and then bad news comes out, and then everyone sells the next day. You know, and <laughs> um, so there's you know there's always kind of this a lot of money came in on good news, like oh there's stimulus coming out, so. People buy the good news, and then the next day is bad news, and people sell on that day. And um, it's just, I mean, overall, the, what's caused the property or the share market to fall so much is, you know, for many years people have known that the the prices of shares compared to long term averages has been very high. Mm. So the multiples times income, um, you know, let's say it's a, usually about sixteen or 15, seventeen or fifteen times how much um, revenue a company you know, turns over each year. I mean, a lot of in the US, it's been 20, 30. A lot of tech companies are hundreds of times how much money they're actually making each year. So they're highly priced. Um, And people have been willing to take that risk because 
they can't get much in the bank. You know, they can borrow at really low interest rates. Um, and so when you can borrow really low rates, you might as well just speculate. And so because and because for everyone else is speculating, you, you're kind of going, well, this is a really easy money. And as long, as long as rates stay low, this should all be fine. Um, because uh, and as long as these companies keep growing, then, you know, I should be able to sell these shares in the future for a higher price. And so the market was priced for perfection for many years based on, you know, basically zero cash rates. Um, and so it's kind of happened at the absolute worst time, um, you know, this this kind of coronavirus because it's kind of all those people were, you know, were taking extreme amount of risk for very low returns because they knew that they were going to, you know, compare it to very low rates that they were kind of borrowing the money at. Um, and then I always stop that though, right? Because, because you know, and that's what always happens to precipitate a crash, right? That some external macro environmental thing knocks the feet out of everyone, knocks the legs out from underneath. Because if, if everything continues in this positive vein, then they're going to continue to speculate and continue to, to you know, pay too much for shares, right? Yeah, I think the thing is that with the 2008 happened, you know, all the governments kind of came in, supported the market and flooded the, the market with liquidity and it kind of, and any whenever there was a sign of things are going to blow up, you know, they just cut rates and flood the market with liquidity and, you know, this just keep kicking this can down the road and, yeah. Um, but everyone just thought that, you know, like in Japan, you know, rates would just stay low forever um, and we're just trying to continue on and just try to keep it going. Um, but this thing is just kind of, you know, they call it black swan events, um, mm. you know, because it's just you can't foresee them, you can't predict them. Um, and then they happen and then they completely change the game and this is what it, what it is. And so it's, it's... Do you think we need them? Do you think we need black swan events? Uh, I mean, there is an argument that... Uh, yeah, that not everything, you know, like it's not really black swan, you know, a lot of um, the big money kind of knows how the markets work. And so, um, you know, a lot of the money through downturns have actually, well, it is a transfer of wealth to um, the people who have got money. Unfortunately, um, in this scenario, um, who, who will be kind of licking their lips now? It's kind of the 1%, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, a lot of them will have taken risk off the table Um as prices rose, um, a lot of them are sitting on big cash amounts in their kind of funds and their allocation, and they'll be holding on to their shares because they don't need to sell them. They're not concerned that they have to sell these shares. So they won't be the ones rushing to the exit right now. And then they'll have these big cash piles to be buying into the market when the market falls. Um, and so most downturns is unfortunately um, increases in inequality. Um, and so, yeah, there kind of is an argument that, uh, yeah, the capitalist sort of society and the, uh, the you know, system that we have um, really just encourages these kind of booms and busts because all it really does is the people who sell and, and crystallise their losses, which a lot of people will be doing now, they'll be ringing up their super funds saying, I've just seen my super fund fall 30%, can I move it to cash? Um, and they're generally the people with the least. And so what they're doing is they're selling it and the people buying it are probably the people with, with, with cash you can afford to buy um, at cheaper prices. So, um, yeah, that's generally what happens through downturns is it just transfers wealth to the, to the wealthy. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because the thing is that, you know, there's, and this is, the, this is back to being an educated investor, you know, that, that it's the wishful thinking around the world. You know, they're happy to ride the wave when it's, when it's going well and then 
bail and freak out and knee jerk and do all these actually damaging behavior for self damaging behavior when things don't continue to do well. And probably because they haven't really factored in and understood exactly, like you say, how markets work. So back to, you know, interestingly enough, and I, I've been speaking to some buyers agents sort of elsewhere in the country and depending on what their, you know, their typical uh, client profile is, um, they have sort of different things to say. And, and I know that some have had uh, clients pulling out of deals because a lot of yeah. these based clients who are in the money market, who where a lot of their wealth is actually in the share market and they might have been yeah. planning to take money out of shares in order to buy property. And obviously yeah. that is, is having a massive impact on their ability to do that or the amount of money that they're going to have to spend. So there are some buyers that will be affected. Um, I have to say that that most of my clients, I don't think that that is the case. Um, you know that they're quite, they've sort of quarantined, if you like, or they're siloed in terms of the way that they're thinking about their property purchase. Yeah. Um, some of my clients are very much property people anyway. They don't probably don't have much in the way of shares. Um, and I think if you're buying your own home. And, you know, if we think back to our episode with um, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool, you know, I remember that we asked him that question of, you know, should you be using the share market to save a deposit? Well, and he said no. And thank God he said no because, I mean, imagine if you had been, you know, you're thinking, well, I'm going to get 1% in the bank if that, um, you know, I'm going to put everything in the share market while I'm saving. Imagine then you'd be wiped out. You wouldn't, you definitely wouldn't be buying a house. It's a good point. I've got a bit of stick over this for the last few years because I've been, you know, I, I get, you know, my process is to have that initial call with clients and just to chat them through their situation. And sometimes clients will come to me with, you know, let's say fifty to a hundred thousand, and they're really looking to buy their first home, and it's just not enough to get in the market. Um, and then they say, well, what can I do with that cash? Or, you know, and or they're let's say they're single and they're not sure what they want to do and where they want to go and. Um, and so sometimes the best thing to do is just to wait to get a bit of clarity on where they want their life to go. Uh, and then they say, well, should I leave it in the bank or should I put it into shares? And, you know, for me, I've always kind of said, look, you know, you've got to really understand how where share prices are at the moment, how they're priced and how they could fall very fast. And um, this is not me, you know, patting myself on the back, but you know, this is the risk when you have your money in shares. They can be so volatile over short periods that um, if you have to sell or you want to sell, um, you know, you don't, you, you've got to basically, it's, un, it's not up to you to, the market's not in your control. So if you want to sell in 2020 to buy a home and that's not when the market's doing very well, then you've got to really be able to afford that sort of loss. And I think, you know, the best advice for a lot of yeah, young people saving for a deposit isn't having the money in the market um, and is having the money in cash. And this is kind of just an example that's proven that. When you said I haven't had a lot of people pull out, I... I have. I've had quite a few clients who, um, that scenario there, I mean, a client yesterday pulled out, he had actually exchanged on a property um, last week and he still had his five days cooling off and he, he pulled the pin on that. Um, but that was probably a premium property in Adelaide. So it was around the $2 million mark in Adelaide, which is, um, you know, I think that top end of the market, which is the top end there, um, you know, potentially could be affected. So he decided that, you know, he's willing to gamble and Potentially, the property he purchased as well on reflection wasn't what um, is it an amazing asset. So I kind of gave him that feedback. So that's that's one. But I've also had like a lot of clients who are self-employed, um, you know, worryingly calling over the last few days, whether that's on their current mortgage or people thinking about entering the market. Um, I mean, just this morning, a guy who runs events company 
Um, obviously, they've been smashed, so um, the event industry. So, uh, I mean, they were almost making offers on properties two weeks ago down in Thoreau and areas like that. So, um, you know, they've, they've had to cool their jets, you know. So, you know, there are going to be, um, you know, another client working at Qantas. I mean, you know, just last week I was chatting to her and asking how things are going and, um, yeah, she's, you know, I'm sure she hasn't had good news today with, you know, two-thirds of their staff basically, you know, you know, on standby now. Um, so there are, and then, you know, you've got the casual employees and, and things like that. So I, I do think the the unemployment sort of uncertainty um, is going to, uh, but then once, the thing is, once it turns the other way, um, then people aren't worried about their jobs. Um, there's still low supply and they want to buy. That's when everyone wants to buy as well. So, yeah. you know, if you are, have got a job and you're thinking about purchasing a family home, if you've got that certainty, maybe now's the time to be entering the market when there's less buyers. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, it is very important that people do consider their job security and also, you know, I guess we're all a bit rocked because it's all the things that we thought to be um, to be certain aren't and I guess we don't like uncertainty, do we, as, mm-hmm. as a race, um, as a species probably more than a race. Um, so... Yeah, I think, you know, if you've got jobs, job security, also if you've got buffers, this is just really yeah. the importance of buffers. And so it's really about smart um, mortgage borrowing strategy or smart fiscal strategy, shall we say. Um, yeah. And so people who have been selling too close to the window, they're going to feel pretty vulnerable at the moment, particularly if their job's um, up in the air. And, look, let's face it, there's going to be some industries that may – well, I wouldn't say never recover, but may some yep. just won't recover. You know, like hospitality, well, absolutely smashed. Um, yeah. But then you've got the landlords of hospitality businesses, you know, well, they're going to get smashed too. And yeah. so everyone pull together and, and minimise, share the losses so that that actually minimises the pain in the long term. Or not yeah. I think in because we haven't had a recession for so long. I was living in the UK through the you know the GFC we call it here, the credit crisis over there, credit crunch, whatever the you know around the world. Um, I actually kind of you know in two thousand seven I moved there, and that's when it was the height of the um, you know the boom. Really, you know that's when you the money flowing around London was crazy. Um, everywhere was packed, and um, you know, cars. It was just a very, you could just see the city was just going nuts basically. Um, and then in 2008 happened in 2009 and it wasn't until 2010 and 11, I came back in 2011, it was extremely depressing. And that's when all the businesses, um, they try to survive, you know, 29, 2010, um, everything started shutting down. A lot of the entertainment sort of, um, all the, you know, nightlife, all that sort of thing will shut down. Um, and so I think you'll find that, um, you know, the flow and effects take time for the speed to get back. So even if they can survive this this virus, it's not sort of human behaviour kind of changes as well and we go back to living like we were. Mm. Um, and a lot of businesses w- won't be able to survive that six to 12 months. So, um, yeah, I think the recessions are pretty pretty rough um, yeah. and they take a long time to, to kind of work their way through. I think, too, this one's a bit of a jolt to the system in a way that a recession typically isn't um, in the sense that, you know, you've got a six-month period where you've physically no revenue as a yep. even doing yeah. revenue. Yeah. This is like it's a it's a ripping off of the Band-Aid or a falling off a cliff, you know. Um, yeah. And then supposedly 
it'll be over and then everyone back on, you know, back out there doing whatever they do. We don't know. But um, there won't be the, the bars, the restaurants, the the clubs or whatever that, you know, some of them will yeah. not exist. Um, I I do remember the last recession in Australia <laughs> and often that's, that's sort of, um, it's sort of, uh, you hear a lot of commentators say, well, you know, very few of us remember it, you know. But I was mm. at university in the late 80s and, I worked a part-time job. I worked in restaurant and I worked, a lot of the people that I worked with were were working there as a second job. Um, you know, I, one of my friends was an accountant, another one was actually a flight attendant and there was there was a number of people there working second jobs because their um, mortgage rate was so high. You know, I, 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 well before I bought a property, but I do remember them telling me the 7 and 80% interest rates. Mm. So, but they were jobs for them. You think about it, you know, like um, they had the ability to get a second job. Um, yeah. People were going out. You know, it was a recession. There's no doubt about it. Plus you had this ridiculously high interest rates. It was a lot of hardship. But, and I know that coming out of university, um, I know people, I knew someone that had an economics degree, for instance, and thought they were going to be a stockbroker and came out. There was nothing, nothing for them to do in their field that they'd studied in. Whereas I did graphic design and, you know, I managed to find myself a job. But um, I was never very good as a graphic designer, just as a bit of an aside there. But I, and, I, and I still managed to get myself a job. And I had a part-time job for years as well on top of my full-time mm. job. So this is a recession, you know. And so, yes, I know people had hardship. And I know my dad at that point, I mean, he became redundant. He took up taxi driving. Mm. So the, the, the resourceful amongst us find ways to deal with it. Um and will I think there'll be whole industries that start? I mean, I'll tell you what, the video conferencing industry is about to take off, isn't it? Um, well, yeah, I think that. I mean, that's generally one of the positives of um, crashes, and this is not uh, is that businesses that potentially um, aren't growing and potentially need to, you know, collapse. For example, um, you know, they're no longer profitable, or they need subsidies, or etc um you know they they basically don't survive and the people the businesses that evolve and um you know innovate they thrive in these situations so you know generally longer term this is kind of when sometimes the biggest innovation happens when um you know businesses are struggling the most so there's an argument that that's one of the upsides of a recession is that um we move forward as a society um and some of the businesses that are kind of just hanging on and um you know aren't really you know killing it i guess they're the ones who probably you know move on to other things so yeah yeah, i mean that's happened in in employment as well you know like you 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 have to make tough decisions i had a client you know unfortunately had to sack 20 staff yesterday um you know he's in events as well and um you know and it's just it was just obviously their their businesses kind of lost 80 90 percent of revenue so Mm. um and so you know not saying they're all dead wood but you know it's just saying that you know a lot of cutbacks will be made and obviously the the people who are top talent every business will do everything they can to keep them um and so you know this is some of the the realities i guess so i think you know we do have to be cognizant that these things will impact on some people's ability to buy property um and whether they hold on to their properties or not. Um, but we also have to be cognizant that it's still not everybody, you know, that if you look at unemployment, I mean, what does unemployment go up to in a recession? Well, I mean, they're saying 7% roughly, or so I've read, you know, today that, you know, so you're talking about a one and a half to 2% jump in current mm. 
unemployment rates, which they say there's 10 million workers. You're talking about 200,000 people losing their job. Mm. I mean, that's to me pretty on the light side, I would say. Um, you know, if, if, yeah, if we only, if we unemployment only goes up to 7% short term, then, you know, that's a pretty good outcome, I would say. Um, you look at the US during the uh, crisis. I mean, there's unemployment's a funny number anyway. You've got unemployment, you've got underemployment. Yeah. Um, there's also a participation rate. Um, the numbers can be fudged, um, you know, if, if you, you know, you're doing it, even if you're looking for work or you're not looking for work. And so you just got to be careful with unemployment rates a little bit, but you know, it's unlikely that we're probably going to see a two, 3% jump in unemployment rates, which is hundreds of thousands of people who, uh, you know, are losing their jobs, yeah. um, which is, is pretty crazy. Uh, and so that's, but I mean, I think the thing with property, you know, bringing it back to that is that it just comes down to that marginal buy, you know, there's, yes. if we get low low supply and we've got still people out there buying um, and, you know, arguably low rates is going to keep, this is what RBA is going to do is, you know, rates are going to be, you know, say two and a half percent. It is going to get a lot of people who are thinking about buying, um, look at the rent versus buy and say, well, yeah, we can afford a mortgage. We've got our savings. We've got our job. Um, we really want to buy a house. Why don't we, you know, prioritize that and enter the market, which is what was happening prior to this crisis. And that's why prices were rising. And so, those buyers still want to buy. They still can afford to buy if they're still working and they've got low rates. Mm. Um, the problem they're going to have is just supply. Um, yes. And unfortunately, low supply means higher prices. And so I just don't think we're going to see big property prices falls in areas that are driven by owner-occupiers. But investors are going to be spooked um, because, A, you know, the, uh, you know, just the... Well, hang on. When you say investors are going to be spooked, investors had not flooded back into the property market yeah. anyway. Yeah. You know, so we, we, we've still been dealing with very low numbers of investors compared to what we were dealing with, say, in 2016, 2017. Um, we also potentially have a flight to safety. So you've got a flight to safety in two senses. You've got, A, that, the flight to quality. So hopefully, you know, and this is obviously something we bang on about all the time, not, not all property is worth buying, yeah. um, but also the flight away from the share market. So investors will be thinking, well, where where, where can I put my, my money? Where can I invest? Because I'm all of a sudden 2% yield on a property and I'm talking rental yield, not capital growth yield, but all of a sudden 2% yield seems really good. <laughs> you know, yeah. when you're faced with, you know, decimation in the stock market and also you, you're faced with cash being worth or maybe negative because we heading to, in the direction of negative interest rates. So, you know, yeah. once again, this is all about sentiment, isn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, I lost my train of thought there. And what I was kind of going to go to was, you're right, investors haven't been coming back to the market, but they have slowly in the last probably six months because they've seen prices rising. Oh. So investors are very like, unless prices are rising, I don't want to buy, which is just not really the right mentality. Um, <laughs> but in that why you see, you know, in the share market, like, a lot of people have, they just don't really understand how it all works. And, you know, there's that app called Raise or I think it was, um, oh, I can't remember what it was called, Acorns before that, right? And a lot of uh, millennials would use that app where it would round up their transactions and yeah. invest a little bit in the stock market. And then they would say, well, it's doing really well. It's growing at 11%. And I was like, well, you've had it for two months um, and it's going for 11%. That's not how stock markets perform over 30 years, you know. Um, it's not. And so... But just unfortunately, people can't really grasp it because they haven't really invested in it. So they can only judge their 
how it works over their sh- how long they've been playing around with this app. Um, and so, you know, they invest more because they think it's good. And so when markets are rising, people just keep putting more money in. Unfortunately, um, when markets are falling or they're not rising, investors don't come in. I do think a lot of the smarter investors now, though, who have got equity um, and because borrowing capacities aren't huge anymore, like you can only borrow roughly six, seven times your salary now versus 10 times mm. um, to buy investments. You know, the smart investors now will say, well, if I've got a million dollars equity on my home, do I buy property or do I start to look at shares? Because the reality is right now as share prices get cheaper and cheaper by the day, the upside in shares is actually growing by the day because you're buying things at cheaper prices. And so, you know, but if you've got very limited capital, um, but you can borrow a lot of money because you've got very limited equity, but you've got lots of servicing, then you're not going to really be able to leverage that much too much into shares. So you still might want to look at property, but if you've got lots of equity on your home and can't borrow much more from the bank, um, for a lot of those people or people with cash, I think they're going to be starting to say, well, actually, maybe I should be looking at the share market, not property, Mm. uh, just because the prices are falling. And that was a prime example with a client yesterday. I mean, he sold a business. He's got $4.5 million in the bank. This isn't a typical client, but, you know, sometimes um, where they, um, you know, and he's got his house paid off um, and he's got no job because he's just sold his business. I mean, for him, residential property just doesn't make sense, you know, and, um, you know, as the market falls in shares, that's where he's going to get a better bang for buck um, because he can't borrow money and properties are really liquid assets. So, um, yeah, that's that's going to be another one of the things that happen now is that a lot of investors are going to potentially shift their attention from shares, uh, property to shares. Yeah, interesting. So I think, um, I think generally speaking we're going to see some changes in behaviour on a number of different levels. Um, you know, because obviously it's something like this, it's a, a real shock to the system. I think it's going to be interesting to see how people deal with being cooped up at home, working from home um, for long periods of time. Um, I mentioned before that, you know, the importance of, of getting the right, being in the right home is going to really come come home to roost, you know. And that might be something that actually spurs people to, to want to change their home or upgrade their home or... Yeah you know, get more space or whatever. So it would be quite interesting to see how that changes um, behaviour when things sort of, when we all get out the front door again. Um, I think how people buy homes might change. I, I know that agents are saying to me, well, there's going to be even more off-market deals going down and obviously through this period if we are able to inspect properties, we're not going to be able to line up out the front and stand nice and close to all our uh, fellow inspectors, you know, they're going to be corralling people and limiting the amount of people going into the, I should say not corralling but separating people, limiting the amount of numbers in an open house at a time. You know, it's going to be those sorts of behavioural changes. I do hope people don't start buying online because, honestly, buying off a, uh, for a virtual tour is just shockingly, um, shockingly bad bad practice. Um yeah. But you know, it was- that a client literally uh, yesterday emailed me a property. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a cracker, really. Um, but you know, you look at the virtual tour and um, it's all great, and then you just get to the lounge room and um, it's just tiny. Um, and you could easily miss that on a virtual tour, I think. Mm. You kind of just kind of cruise around, you're like, oh, yeah, it's good, it's a bedroom, there's a bathroom, etc. But you know, it's not till you look at the floor plan and you look at the virtual tour and you can really see how tiny it is. Um, and it, you know, it's it's but if you went to the property, 
you would as soon as you got in that lounge room, you would just you'd just say this is too small. You know what I mean? And one of the things we can't really get from virtual tours is natural light. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. yeah, you can't get volume of a room. You can't get a sort of real sense of ceiling height. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, you know, so yeah, there's there's some real um, and and the actual flow, you know, when you actually mm. have space is very different. Also, what you're looking yeah. outside, you know, and and just generally yeah. neighbourhood and all the rest of it, but. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of, you know, there's a selective as well because let's face it, who's putting together the virtual tour? Mm, the selling agent and what do they want to do? <laughs> Sell a property. You know, of course yeah. they're going to um, make it as favourable as possible. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Working from home is, is uh, it's something that I've, well, I think that a lot of employers have been very old school, the, the baby boomer mentality, nothing against them. But, um, you know, you've got to be on the clock. We've got to watch you to work for us. Um you know, that sort of mentality still exists in organisations. Um, well, I've and- spoken to a number of people in IT who have said that it's quite shocking and not, not just baby boomers sort of, you know, SMEs, for instance, but, yeah. but you know, actually some larger businesses that they've, they've had this mass um, purchase of laptops and mass purchase of, of, you know, technology basically to enable their, their staff to work from home. And, and it's like it shouldn't take something like this in this day and age to mobilise your workforce, you know. Um, That's the thing, right? Like I've a client who's, um, you know, I said, oh, you know, you're working from home. He's well, no, we're not. Um, our systems aren't able to do it. And I was like, well, so what? Like if you do have to yeah. shut down the office, are you going to be able to do any work? He's like, no, because we can't log in. We've got to go to the office. and. Wow. Um, and so, you know, this is the thing. If, if this does force that change where people do work from home, I think that's a good thing for society, right? Like I think, um, and it's also a good thing for uh, housing affordability, to be honest. If you can potentially commute from further away on a, a number of, you know, only a couple of days a week rather than five days a week, it does take that. Um, it does give options to, you know, people a bit more because they don't have to, they don't want to have to spend an hour and a half each way, you know, five days a week. They potentially can only do that, you know, two hours a day, you know, from, you know, three days a week. You know what I mean? So I think that's a good shift for society. And I I do think that that work from home. But the thing is what a lot of people realise is that their current living standards aren't able to work from home, you know. So um, whether it's not enough space or the layout or the location or the noise. um, And so a lot of people will probably potentially look at homes that, you know, are, you know, better suited from working from home as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's good. Well, it will be interesting. And I think too, I mean, even in, in, here we are, we're now recording this, um, yeah. in my home office, you're in your home office, right? Now we have, this is the first episode where you and I have not been in a studio and, yeah. and I don't think that's because we're old fashioned. Um, well me, I'm speak for myself here. For me, I like the idea of being face-to-face when I'm having a conversation with somebody. Now I know you well enough, so we can do this without seeing each other. Um, and, you know, when we start doing this with guests, well, it will be, a, you know, might have to get the video app mm. up. But the reality is that, you know, I've thought to myself, oh, I have to have to worry about that technology because we don't do it that way. But now all of a sudden we are worrying about this technology because we are doing it this way. And I do think this is going to change things um, in, in terms of just generally how we function. So, and yes, once again, how, do the, how does that then potentially play out into the property market as you've alluded to? 
it it probably will impact on or assist affordability. It will allow people to live further away. It, it will change the way we commute. It will probably make Sydney an easier place to live in. <laughs> there's less people yeah. in, in public transport. It right. might change the hours that we work. I mean, there's a whole yeah. It could be a whole different world out there, so um, which would be quite interesting. So, I mean, that's sort of a bit of a social sort of impact um, conversation. But, but I do think what I, what I'm most concerned about is buying property at the moment um, in a time when we can't, when we've got to self isolate or we've got to um, social isolation. I just hope people don't start thinking that they can buy buy property online, and that's sufficient. Um, I mean, I heard people, like I think you said in the intro is that I would just see this as an opportunity. Um, a lot of people were thinking, oh, he's a mortgage broker, just wants to sell loans. It's not like that at all. Um, you know, I just think this is an opportunity just to get ready. Uh, and just like you, over Christmas periods, it's a great time to get pre-approved. Like it's just a, you know, go do your numbers, figure out what's possible, really think through that kind of upgrade or, you know, yeah. what can you borrow, what deposit do you need? Um you know, do your refinance now. Like refinances take two, three months, right? Get mm. your finance sorted. Um, you know, do all your history and your search and, you know, open conversations up with buyers agents and start to, you know, you can do those virtual, et cetera. Um, just, you know, take this because you've got potentially more time to sort out life admin um, when you haven't got to commute every day and all the hassles and potentially even time up your sleeve. Um, because at some point stock's going to come and you might find that, you know, there's a bit of a lag. And so, you know, the people who are, are ready and have done their due diligence and got all their reference points, um, you know, the people who do that hard work now will be in a position to to make those moves while everyone else is trying to figure that out, you know, when things return to norm- normality. Um, yeah, I 100% agree. This, this time um, from our point of view and the way we're working with our clients is that this is the time to get ready. And you've just talked about it from the financial sense, and that's really important too. I mean, I, funnily enough, I'd started the process of refinancing probably about two weeks ago. Um, I really wish I'd done a little earlier now, but um, it is what it is. So you know, I'm underway doing that. And and so um, on the property side of things, getting ready, if you haven't, if you haven't been actively looking yeah. now, it is a matter of really fully understanding what the possibilities are for your search. Now, if you go back to, I guess, our episode where you interviewed me, I kind of remember what number it was. Was it 109? You know, I actually outlined in that episode the process that we go through to get our clients ready to recognise what it is that they need to be looking for. Um, And I think that if you aren't ready at the end of this period, when things start moving again, when stock starts coming on the market again, then you're going to take months and months and months to get ready because there won't be the stock around for you to go and inspect and learn. And and it, for, for buyers that do this under their own steam, it takes months to, to come to grips yeah. with what the possibilities are and then know what exactly what it is you should be looking at. Some people it takes years and I'm not kidding here I, I, because I've met so many people who have tried this the hard way. There's a way to truncate this and by using this time to to invest that time in research and obviously we can help you if that's what you want to do. If you want to do it yourself, well, you're going to be home. You're probably going to have a bit extra time on your hands and why not um, go through this process yourself? But you do need to be able to hit the ground running when things uh, get back to normal because the thing is if you aren't ready and that is financed as well as a really clear expectation of what it is you're going to be looking for, you are going to be behind the eight ball. And so if prices do fall, yeah, fine, that you're lucky. 
really. But then you're trying to catch a falling knife. They'll stop falling at some point. And then you'll be one of those people that now is saying, I wish I bought in 2018. Mm. These opportunities, if prices do fall, which I actually don't think they will, but if they do, these opportunities don't last forever. And it's only the well-prepared and the brave that takes advantage of them. You know, and if prices do rise, which is probably more likely because we are going to be facing lack of stock, and that's exactly what happens back to that sort of period of time, what happens usually most years in February, the uh, auction clearance rates peak in February in most years and prices really do launch off purely because of that demand meeting a lack of stock. So if that happens is what we're expecting will happen, economic situation notwithstanding, then you are going to be left behind because every month out of the market is going to cost you. And yeah. so this is a really, really good time to really get your head around and get ready and get prepared. If you are ready, you can still choose not to do something. But if yeah. you are not ready, you never have that choice. And the thing is, I mean, the, the caveat is we don't know how bad the uh, unemployment's going to get and how bad the slowdown's going to get and the recession's going to get. And, you know, as that picks up, if that gets worse and worse, then, you know, you can change your plan. But um, you know, and if, if your job, you feel like it's really secure and then all of a sudden it does, you know, become really unstable, you know, this is where I think loan structuring is really important. I mean, I had a client literally called me yesterday and the way that we set up her loan when she purchased like last year is that we did it at 80%, which we most likely always do. Um, and then we put the rest of the money in the offset account. So instead of borrowing a smaller amount and having no money left over in her scenario, she had 300 grand left over and, um, you know, her, her self-employed, her business is, you know, struggling. Um, she doesn't have to worry because she's got, you know, 300 grand left over. So, you know, even if, you know, um, you, you know, you potentially your future of your work may not be great in the future, you can still structure your loans today to make sure you still got buffers to, to ride out if it does get bad. Um, so you don't have to then just completely park your decision to buy um, on this fear that it might get worse in the future, which I think a lot of people naturally gravitate to. Um, so you need to fight that itch a little bit and say, well, actually, what happens if they don't get as bad as I think and I do survive and, you know, work's still okay and, you know, things recover much faster? Um, you know, am I going to just regret that I just didn't take action and I waited another year out of the market? And um, so I think you just got to be prepared either way. Yeah. So I think, you know, yes, we are in for, you know, a, a challenging, uncertain times. There's no doubt it, or in the middle of it <laughs> really already. We've started this process. We know that nobody likes uncertainty. So the one thing that we can be certain about is it will not last forever. We also can be certain that ultimately people need to live in properties. Uh, We also know that your life doesn't stop because and our lives don't stop because, you know, these things have happened and they are changing the way in which we are living and they are challenging us. Um, and they're challenging the economy and some people will suffer terribly and we, we, we're very cognizant of that. Um, but it's not a reason to sit on your hands and do nothing and wait and see. It is a, it's a time to be proactive, get yourself ready, get un, full understanding of your own situation, put those buffers in place if they're not already there, get ready to think about what you want to do property-wise when this clears and also, I think, too, spend that time working out whether the house that you're in or the home that you're in is actually the right one for you because you might be suddenly motivated to do some, make some big changes when it just all comes to an end. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's always the other part of it as well. It's just investing in yourself and your personal growth and your, 
your personal value proposition, I guess, your human capital. I think, um, you know, that if there's uh, things that's struggling with work or you're thinking about doing career change and things like that, like a lot of these times to self-reflect and reset goals and things like that as well. Um, and so I think a lot of that needs to be happening at the moment as well. If, if there's, you know, there's tough times ahead, um, kind of be looking out of the positives out of it and, um, yeah, working on your personal development. I think, um, I mean, over, overall, I think the, you know, there are going to be behaviour changes on the demand side, but I think the thing that we always need to remember is that the supply property um, a lot of the time drives prices. Yeah, absolutely. So what we'd like to do, encourage more conversation on this. Um, you know, we're, we're probably all going to be uh, you know, less active um, outside of our homes and much more active on our computers. Um, so please send us an email via the elephantintheroom.com.au. You can send us your burning questions and we'll be doing more of these sort of chats between Chris and I. We'll also get some guests on once we work out the technology of a three-way conversation. We will get some more guests on uh, without a shadow of a doubt. We've all got some great guests lined up. But we want to also deal with you, your questions and we've got another Q&A episode coming up very soon. Uh, we want more of your questions and let's let's engage more and, you know, maybe we need to put a platform up or, you know, one thing at a time, but, you know, use the fact that we're uh, encouraging you to engage with us via the elephantintheroom.com.au and, um, yeah, we'll be back in touch with some answers. And thank you to our listeners. We, we had our biggest month last month, um, which is amazing. Um, so we're, we're extremely happy. We've got a few thousand listeners now, which is uh, unbelievable. So really appreciate all your support and um, all your reviews. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.